fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhagen and Al Warren. 102.3 FM, 102.3 FM, Riverside. And 105.0 AM, Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren. Mr. David, Dollar Store Dave is in the room. <laughs> I am here. Yeah, now today, today of course, uh, we're going to have a uh, great guest, a returning guest. He's, uh, he's talking about his new series. This time you got to interact a lot more, Dave, because he was really okay. upset last time you were on. You <laughs> didn't say enough to him. So uh, let's see. We've got uh, Ron Chepsik. So thanks for being here, Ron. Thanks uh, for inviting me, Al. You've got Pariso Blanco. Uh, the series coming out now, or it's out now. So let's let's talk about this television series. So how did it come about? You got into the story. Yeah, uh, uh, Pareto Blanco. It means uh, white white paradise. It's a thirty part uh, television series, and they've, uh, the, all the episodes have been shot. Uh, the first season is um, streaming now on VIX Television, which is uh, out of Mexico, and uh, it started uh, about uh, about a year and a half ago. And it's uh, now the biggest uh, Spanish-language uh, streaming service in the world. How I got this, uh, one day I woke up and uh, checking my email, and I had this uh, email from uh, uh, Caracol uh, Television, uh, which is uh, a big television uh, network in uh, in Colombia. And it was from uh, a vice president, and she says that uh, they were working on a, on a project involving Carlos Later, and, and they saw that I had a book on them, and uh, they'd be interested in talking about optioning it. And, uh, you know, it was uh, interesting because I've had like five or six of my books option and it, and it was the last book I probably thought that would be option. And of course I'm going to say yes. So I said yes. And, um, we set up a telephone call and, uh, we discussed it. And then she said we, that they wanted to option it. And so I talked to my manager and, uh, I put him in touch with uh, her and, uh, they worked out a deal. And, um, the, the, uh, series was already in production. It was going on, and uh, they needed some intellectual property, I guess, to to uh, make it a little bit more prestigious. And uh, so that's why they were interested in my book. And um, uh, it was great. It was great working with them. I mean, everything was fantastic, especially they paid the money on time, too, which was, oh. <laughs> you know, you, know <laughs> you usually have to wait and wait and wait. But they were really on the ball. And um, I um, I have a connection to Columbia. I'm married to a Colombian. And uh, my wife's there now. Um She's been uh, uh, sick, and so she's been getting a treatment there. So um, I went to see her, and uh, I ended up uh, going to the Caracol Studios and uh, meeting everybody. And uh, we, we signed the contract March 1st of uh, of last year. And uh, then I came back again about three months later, and they were filming. And I sat in on the 10th episode, which was really fascinating. Uh, they, they shot this one scene six times, and there was like five words said in the whole scene. And... Uh, I couldn't understand why, you know, what was wrong with it. And uh, I asked the director, I was sitting beside the director, and he said, um, he said uh, one of the guys um, had mispronounced the word. <laughs> so 
he shot it six times. And I got a chance to meet uh, Sebastian Osario, who's the uh, who plays Carlos later in a series, a really uh, outstanding actor, up and coming uh, actor. Uh, I think he's going to be a crossover star because um, uh, he can speak English well, and um, and uh, he's very charismatic. And uh, he's done he played the role of, of Carlos great. So I got a chance to meet him. Uh, he, we discussed the uh, movie about an hour. Uh, he asked me about the character and, uh, you know, what was he like and, uh, and all that. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if I had met him and all that. And, uh, I, uh, left, uh, Columbia and then I went back home. And then it, last Christmas, I went and I saw the pilot, uh, episode. They set it up. They hadn't done the credits on it yet, but they showed the pilot. And, uh, it was really amazing because, um, in the opening scene, uh, Carlos Lader's an old man. He's in prison, like in real life. He, uh, and he ended up in prison in the U.S. But, uh, he, uh, he's in his cell and he's sitting there and, uh, the guard comes in and says, Carlos, you got to come out here. And, uh, you look on his lap and there's my book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so he has my book. And then in the third scene, he's on the plane and, uh, you get a close up of, of Carlos and, uh, you look on his lap and there's my book. Oh, and when you say he's an, he was an old man in the prison, was he, what, was he about your age then? Or Yeah, well, what happened was, uh, uh, yeah, yeah you know, he ended up in prison for 37 years. Um, uh, he was uh, uh, arrested in, in 1987, and uh, big trial in Jacksonville. At that time, it was the biggest trial of any foreign gangster in, in history, American history. And uh, he, got, he got a huge sentence. He got a life plus 155 years, which was later reduced because of his uh, testimony in the conviction of, uh, of General Noriega of Panama. And, uh, he got a, he got a cut down to 55 years, a life plus 55. Before we go any further, we want to hear the love story. You were talking about getting married in Colombia. Oh, well, yeah. That, you know, I've had a long relationship with Colombia. I go back to the uh, 19, uh, uh, late 1980s. Uh, there was a freelance writer that was arranging a press trip to, uh, to Colombia. Uh, which was being sponsored by Avianca Airlines, which is the National Airlines of uh, Colombia, and uh, the, the the hope was that uh, that Colombia had such a bad reputation then with the drug 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 lords, and and Escobar was on his narco terrorism campaign. People were dying, you know, it was it was a really terrible time, and they thought that they could uh, maybe uh, boost their their tourist trade, you know, if uh, they invited some writers and on a press trip, take them around the country, and they would go back to the U.S. and write nice articles about their experience and all that. And then um, uh, on the last day of my trip there, I was leaving. And in those days, uh, they had five security checks. Uh, you went, you know, nobody trusted anybody because <laughs> it was so corrupt uh, that they had five security checks. So it would take you like maybe four hours to go through go through the line. And I knew this. And I said uh, uh, I was with a guide. And I had earlier that day I had met. Uh, he introduced me to this uh, young lady who was uh, interning at the hotel that I was staying, a very beautiful woman and all that. And then uh, we sort of set up a informal uh, decision that we would uh, maybe get together later for coffee uh, at night. And um, so anyways, uh, we're sitting there, and he said, uh, do you want me to call her? I said, who? He goes, that's uh, the lady, uh, Magdalena, uh, the, the one you were talking with today. I said, uh, oh, I said, it's kind of late. I said, we have to get up really early to the airport and fight the security. And he said, well, it's up, it's up to you. So I thought about it, and I said, I said, okay. So we called her uh, like three times, and she wasn't there. And then uh, he asked me one last time, and uh, I said, okay, call her one time, see if she's there. And she was there. And so we got together for an hour. We had a really good time, went to a pizza place, and uh, uh, I came back to the States, and uh, we started this romance. And 
uh, finally we decided to get married. I was a Canadian. Uh, I didn't have my, I, I had my uh, green card, but didn't have a, a passport, uh, uh, citizenship. So it would have took me five years to get into the country. Uh, but if I got my citizenship, it would take like three months. So I decided to get my citizenship and I got that. And then uh, she came back and, uh, and, uh, and we, we got married and in, in Colombia, in Bogota with her family and everything. And then I, uh, we came back, uh, I, I sent for her and, uh, we, we got married and, uh, and, uh, she's, uh, she's now living in, uh, in, in Colombia. She's had, uh, uh, an operation and, uh, uh, she's recovering. And, um, so I've been going back, back and forth, uh, to Colombia, which the country I love, it's really amazing. The country has really changed. Uh, and it's become a, a hotbed for, for, uh, for retirees, uh, and, uh, tourists. That's perfect for you. Yeah. Your book was called Crazy Charlie, right? Crazy Charlie. And, um, when you did that, did you go out and, and meet the actual real Carlos or did you just write around him? No, well, it, it was amazing because, uh, no one knew where Carlos was <laughs> when I started writing the book. I started writing the book about 2016. Uh, I had thought about writing a book on him. In fact, I had been down at the Jacksonville courthouse where the records of his trial were, and I had made uh, some copies of some documents and all that, but uh, I had put it aside. And uh, then I, I, I needed to, to do a book. I have to keep busy. And I thought about it, and I said, okay, I'm going to do a book on uh, on Carlos later. So I, 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 took, uh, I took those materials. Uh, I interviewed a guy from my radio show called... Uh, uh, Carlos Toro, and he was a boyhood friend of Carlos later. And he had a lot of good information, which I used. I interviewed the prosecutor that, uh, that uh, put him in jail. And I interviewed, um, uh, the, uh, the lead detective, uh, the DA agent that uh, led the, uh, investigation of, uh, later that, that, uh, eventually caught him and brought him back to the U.S. for, for trial. Whatever draws you to a story, like how do you find the story or what, what brought you it? to you know carlos the attention to you well it's it's really amazing because uh at this point in my life i'm pretty established and a lot of people know me and i get a lot of people uh contacting me um uh, for some reason people consider me a crime <laughs> expert now i'm an expert on crime because you have know, them uh, books and all that and i get these um, uh, uh letters from prison all the time you know somebody said uh you know i was a I was a mass murderer, <laughs> and I have this story. I, you know, it takes more than being a mass murderer to get a to get a book. You know, you gotta have you gotta have much more much more intrigue to it on that. So I, I ignore a lot of them and uh, uh, don't really take them seriously. But then I get a call like I did in 2020, the the book uh, uh, that I did um, before Bad Henry uh, on um, Jesus uh, Ruiz Henao. Uh, he was the biggest uh, cocaine trafficker in um, in British history, and uh, I got a note from his uh, daughter email saying that uh, that uh, her her father was interested in you know uh, maybe collaborating on a book, and uh, she sent some some uh, clips uh, from the internet, and I didn't know who this guy was, and I and I uh, started reading the clips, and they were amazing, you know they're calling him the Pablo Escobar of uh, of uh, Colombia, and uh, you know, when he was arrested, uh, the price of cocaine shot up 50%, you know, and uh, because it became so, uh, you know, so hard to get, uh, because he was taken out of circulation and on that. And so, uh, I said, yeah. And, uh, and she said, well, he's in prison. He's been in prison for 17 years. And I said, well, I still, I said, I'd like to talk to him and we, maybe we could work something out. So I, uh, 
he, he called me from um, from Great Britain uh, from where he was uh, in prison, and we talked, and uh, we got along. And uh, he said, "Well, I'll be getting out uh, pretty soon, and uh, uh, we we can we can uh, talk further about uh, working out some kind of collaboration." And I said, "Okay." So, anyways, he finally got released uh, in October of uh, 2020, and uh, I ended up uh, talking with him. And uh, we went to I went to Colombia, and I spent a week with him, interviewing him, uh, getting a lot of uh, information uh, uh, verbally from him. And uh, it was really interesting because uh, I went in January of uh, of 2020, and uh, uh, the first case of COVID was just detected in Washington, I think it was. And uh, and so it was sort of like I, I was cognizant of it. And then when I came back, <laughs> COVID hit really big. And so that cut off any a chance of traveling back to Colombia. You know what I mean? It was uh, it'd be very difficult. So we, uh, we, so we set up an arrangement uh, where we used email. And uh, I told him to write out like a diary. And uh, I... Uh, I uh, called him up, and we had we had some phone interviews, and uh, then I had, of course, the background material from from the internet and stuff that he sent me that he had, and we worked out a we worked out a book, and uh, the book the book was published, and I was on the show to discuss that. Here we call, and he was on too. Ron, this is Dave. How, how did Carlos get involved in the drug trade, and, and what led to his his rise to to this drug lord status? Well, he was a, he was a born criminal. Uh, you know, he he came to the States at 16 and uh, started off by, by uh, stealing cars and uh, shipping them back to Colombia, where his brother would sell them. And then he got caught uh, for that. And he got sent to uh, to prison uh, in Danbury, Connecticut. And uh, he met a guy named George Jung. If you saw the movie Blow, he, it was based essentially on his story. And uh, and uh, uh, George was a was a petty criminal, and he had shipped marijuana from Mexico uh, to California using small planes, and uh, the idea intrigued uh, uh, Carlos, and he said, well, if they could do that for marijuana, they could do that for cocaine, and cocaine at that time, this is the late 70s, or mid-70s, was becoming, was starting to become big in the United States, and uh, uh, he said, well, uh, what we'll do is we'll buy an island in the uh, in the Caribbean, and use that as a as a launch pad for planes coming from Colombia. They they can land, uh, refuel, and then and then, and then uh, fly to the U.S. and drop off their loads. So he ended up buying this island named Norman's Cay, which is about 200 miles from uh, from uh, Florida. And uh, there was only like a hundred people on there. He uh, chased the people off the island, uh, and uh, he set up his own um, sort of a, a kingdom there. He had you know he he paved the uh, the ground uh, for landing strips, and um, he brought in um, bodyguards, and um, uh, he and it started. He started to send the um, the uh, cocaine to the U.S. And before then, it was ba- mainly really small time. It was piecemeal. Uh, you had uh, couriers, you know, that were either carried the uh, drug on them or in them, and uh, so you couldn't you couldn't really transport a lot of, a lot of uh, cocaine. So what he did was he revolutionized the distribution network for uh, the, the smuggling of cocaine. And uh, he ended up uh, becoming incredibly wealthy. Uh, I still I still see the, the, the uh, say that he's worth $2.7 billion. Uh, 
and uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I think the government gets most of the the drugs when when someone gets gets caught. But he was very wealthy. They said he got one one uh, he got paid one out of every four kilos that he transported to the United States. And uh, by that time, the Medellin cartel was set up, and he became a really important part of the uh, cartel. And uh, uh, that included Escobar, the uh, the Ochoa brothers, and uh, Jose uh, Gonzalo Rodriguez, uh, who was another uh, the so-called Mexican, uh, was the other member of the uh, Medellin cartel. Wow. So what would I, I just noticed in some of his like he was, uh, you know, Carlos was pretty influenced by things like Hitler, Mein Kampf, and. Machiavelli and and Herman Heiss and all that. Has, <laughs> yeah. What, so what was his yeah. what was his standing like thinking of? Well, it, it, it's really interesting. You know, his father was German, and he came to the uh, the U.S. Uh, in the late twenties. Uh, was a really uh, respected engineer. He helped uh, develop the the, uh, the road system in um, in Colombia. Uh, he introduced elevators to uh, buildings, which was really a novel thing at that time. Um, and the guy was uh, was a rabid uh, neo-Nazi, really. And uh, uh, Carlos, I guess, was influenced by him, and uh, he became, uh, you know, a racist and a, and a neo-Nazi. Uh, he claimed that um, that you know the that, that the Holocaust didn't claim six million Jews, all that sort of stuff. And uh, uh, he hated the United States. Um, he would send his kilos with um, swastikas pasted on them. <laughs> to the United States, and I don't know where exactly where he got this this uh, hatred of his visceral hatred of the U.S. Uh, I think maybe because uh, he came to the U.S. and he didn't really make it, and he sort of blamed the country for that. Uh, he ended up in prison, of course, and ended up in in, uh, in Connecticut. Wow, that's strange, you know, when you see uh, someone from Colombia and they're racist, you know, xenophobe and yeah, 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 and he's German American, uh, and during during the Second World War, the uh, the U.S. Um, Government monitored uh, Wilhelm. That's his father's first name. Uh, they were really concerned about him. Uh, he would have meetings at this um, this uh, ho- uh, hotel that he had, a small hotel uh, of Germans uh, in the area. The area he came from was called Armenia. So that tells you a little bit about you know, a lot of Germans there that, that emigrated from uh, Germany uh, ended up in Armenia. So. Uh, but but nothing happened. He wasn't arrested or anything. So now he started uh, the movement, the Moss, right? Yeah, the, the Moss. That was a, a, a movement. Uh, what it was essentially was to retaliate against guerrillas, uh, the so-called, it was called the M- M-19 movement. Uh, and uh, um, they attempted to kidnap him and, and ransom. And uh, uh, miraculously, he escaped, but he was injured and he had to recover and all that. But uh, he really held this against them. So he organized this uh, this uh, organization called Mas uh, Morte Sequestadores, uh, Murder to the Kidnappers, uh, Death to the Kidnappers. And uh, the cartel went after the leaders, family, and all that sort of stuff. After they kidnapped uh, the uh, sister of uh, of the uh, Ochoa brothers, and uh, finally they released her without, because they realized. <laughs> they weren't going to win the war against the uh, cartel. The cartel was too powerful. He was a pretty good organizer. He organized a, a national Latin movement, which was like a political party, and uh, it was it was really fascist, really uh, in a lot of ways. And um, it 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 was mainly designed to uh, to fight extradition against the uh, the government, which is trying 
would would, would uh, implement uh, extradition. And uh, he actually won a couple of seats in um, in Parliament. And so the, he organized this movement uh, called the National Latin Movement. And uh, he actually thought that maybe someday he could be president of Colombia. Well, what's he like now? Or do you, is he still much the same? Or is he? He 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 was uh, he was released in June uh, in 2020 after I think it was 33 years uh, in prison and uh, deported to the. Uh, to Germany, uh, he has German citizenship. He's uh, German, uh, German Colombian, and uh, the Colombian government wouldn't take him back. But he really wanted to go to Germany. In fact, he sued the U.S. government because he claimed that they reneged on a on a, on a deal that that would have sent him to uh, to Germany. Um, and uh, uh, he had uh, he had fought. Uh, he had sued the government. Uh, I, I remember I was approached by all kinds of. Uh, of writers that were claiming uh, these conspiracy theories about later. You know, they claimed that he was working for the CIA, uh, that he was out, you know, and, and probably back in the drug trade. And I kept telling him, I said, no, no. I said, the government still has him and all that. And uh, he he really disappeared. Nothing new about him. And then in 2007, he showed up uh, uh, in court and uh, his lawyer was suing the government, uh, saying they reneged on, on their... Uh, a promise to uh, to uh, extradite him to Germany uh, for his help with uh, with with uh, the Noriega conviction. Well, it's 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 strange the whole thing, eh? You know the the way it all works. Yeah, it re- really is. Well, how, how did um how, how did later end up in uh, in prison? What was his downfall? His down his downfall. Well, the big mistake they made. Uh, these are this is the cartels because they had it pretty good. Um, in the early 1980s, they were really powerful, and nobody wanted to deal with them. But they ended up killing the justice minister, uh, and uh, the, the cartels. Uh, it was ordered by by uh, Escobar, and uh, the government, under pressure from the U.S., clamped down hard on the on the cartels. They went after them, and they 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 had all kinds of military looking for them and all that. And the uh, cartel leaders uh, realized that it was too uh, too hot for them to stay in Colombia, so they left and uh, they went to um, to Panama. And uh, the government, of course, put pressure on Noriega to to uh, hand him over to the U.S. government, but he wouldn't do it. But then uh, there was rumors that uh, Noriega was going to collaborate uh, with uh, uh, the U.S. government, uh, and uh, because he ha- he was involved with the drug trade. And uh, he was afraid that he would be sort of maybe kidnapped, which is what happened. He was kidnapped in uh, in uh, in uh, Panama and uh, hauled back to the U.S. in in uh, 1989 to stand trial on that. Then, uh, so yeah, so um, they realized that it was getting too dangerous to stay in Colombia. So they they left and they went to Nicaragua, uh, and uh, the Sandinistas sort of protected them for a while, and then it all cooled down and uh, they came back. But by then, uh, later's power uh, was was greatly reduced, and uh, yeah, he was really uh, a minor. He was becoming a minor player in the drug trade, and uh, he ended up being a bodyguard for for later. And uh, he was involved with drugs, and uh, I think he was getting uh, crazy because of the drugs. He gave this incredible speech, uh, which was televised on national television. Uh, down by the uh, in the Amazon by the Amazon River, where he ranted and raved about uh, the U.S. and how he was going to destroy it, 
and how cocaine was going to be the weapon of uh, mass destruction for the U.S. And, uh, you know, he denied the Holocaust, you know, the six million Jews, you know, not dying and all that sort of stuff. And I think Escobar saw this and he realized that uh, that uh, later was really out of control and he, that it was really bad for the for the cartel. So uh, it's never been proven, but I think he actually set up later to be captured. Uh, he was captured at a ranch in um, in the jungle and uh, partying. And he woke up and <laughs> there were the authorities. And uh, within hours, he was shipped to the U.S. You know, they didn't even wait to uh, to arraign him in 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 Colombia. They just shipped him right right to the U.S. And uh, next thing you know, he was brought up before a judge and uh, he was being tried in the U.S. for drug trafficking charges. Yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Um, you know, when you're when you're doing a story like this about a real character, a real person that's alive, and they're doing all these things, does it ever become a struggle for you if you don't like the character you're writing about? Yeah, I, I thought about that, but no, not really. I mean, I'm a professional writer, you know. I mean, um, uh, the story, whatever it is, I'll write it. You know, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to tamper with it. Uh, uh, now, that's why I like writing screenplays. You know, I'm an option screenwriter too. Uh, because you could take a story, a true story, and tamper with it. <laughs> you know, you can you could you could develop the way you want to make it on that. But no, normally no. I'm a professional writer, and um, um, I, I deal professionally with with all, all my subjects. Does it, does it ever like when when a a production company like this um, makes a series and they use your book as a basis? Does it ever sort of um, bother you or worry you or anything like that when they? Um, because in in essence, they can take your book and they can sort of make the story go anywhere they want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, the thing is, uh, uh, when you option, when when you uh, sell your rights to your book to make a movie, it's essentially in their hands, right? And uh, you're not going to have the same. A book cannot translate to a, to a screen verbatim. You know, you, you're going to have to you're going to have to play with it. And uh, I've you know I've got uh, I've got two scripts that have been optioned that are based on true stories. Where I I tampered with the story, you know. What I mean, I I changed things and all that, but that's very natural. I mean, that's that's expected. And you hear you'll hear real real complaints from from uh, viewers that oh God, the, the movie didn't didn't go by the book and all that. And uh, but I don't hold that against the production company. You know, when I when I sell the rights, because uh, you're getting a lot of money, uh, you know, to to uh, to sell the rights. When I sell the rights, that you know, it's they can do with what they want. Now, I was a consultant to the to the movie as well, and uh, and uh, they didn't really ask me as much as I wanted them to ask me about uh, about the the project. But uh, uh, you you you'll get your input in as well, you know, to the pro to the project. Right. Well, they uh, quite often they have a different intent, right? You know, they they want people to stay watching the series, so they're going to focus more on. A lot of the action and the crime and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, like right, like I watched the first fifteen episodes, and they they really, uh, I think they tampered with the character uh, Carlos. Um, they they dealt with him more as a Lothario, you know, a womanizer, in the first fifteen episodes, which uh, I'm I'm really curious to see how they're going to do the next fifteen because they don't really deal with the political aspect of of Carlos's. Uh, History. They, they don't deal with his dislike of the U.S. Uh, they don't deal with his aspiration in politics and all that. And so uh, the, the series first fifteen episodes ends when he's uh, the U.S. is about to to uh, to get him kicked off the island. They're going to put pressure on the Bahamian government and all that. So he's going to go back to to uh, 
Colombia. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, as, uh, you know, how are they going to deal with that? You know, and uh, if not, then, then they're really playing with the story because that would that would be the story when he went back uh, to to, uh, to Colombia is his involvement with with uh, politics. Yeah, it's, just, it's it's yeah, it's crazy. When you wrote the book, did you have a a purpose in mind or a point to it? No, it was just a, a it was a quick book. Uh, you know, it's just something that I had materials and um, I wanted to do. I did it, and uh, and that was it. I mean, I never, like I said, I never really expected it to be to be optioned. But the, the, they they wanted the book, and I was just right. I was there at the right time. You know. Do you know what do you know what Carlos thinks of the of the series or your book? <laughs> well, that's that's interesting because um, uh, my manager, I got a, I got a, I got a script on um, on later the story called Crazy Charlie, uh, which uh, we've been trying to sell on that, and uh, so we decided we would send um, the material to Carlos, and uh, we got his uh, lawyer in Miami. And, uh, you know, through the, through the internet, we, we figured out who's lawyer and we talked to him and, uh, he said, well, he said, uh, I don't know what late, what Carlos's plans are. Uh, he's, he's going to need some time to readjust to, uh, civilian life, but, uh, I'll send your materials. And, uh, we sent the materials, uh, to him. Nothing happened. You know, we didn't hear anything on that. And then, um, he was on this radio show, which is really interesting. Uh, <laughs> there was this woman. Uh, who claimed to have uh, written um, a uh, a book about Carlos with his collaboration, right? So, he, so she was invited to appear on this radio show in in, in uh, Bogota, and uh, she was talking about how they did the book and all that. And then the host said, uh, "Wait a minute, we'll we'll, um, uh, we'll invite uh, uh, Carlos on the show to give uh, his perspective." And he, and there was Carlos later. And Carlos later uh, went ballistic. You know, he said, I don't know this woman. <laughs> I never collaborated with her, and I'm going to sue her. <laughs> wow. And uh, during the course of the, uh, of the interview, he, um, he said that, uh, that uh, he, he had met a producer, a uh, film producer, and they were working on a documentary, which he, he said uh, during that interview that it would come out near the latter part of the year. And he said that's all he could talk about. He said because he was uh, told to uh, you know, not talk about it. So yeah, it's 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 crazy, isn't it? The whole story. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, I mean, the yeah, the whole thing, uh, how it ended up. You know, I've been trying to get some of my books. Um, I have one now uh, where the been trying for nine years, and this one just happened. I didn't even try it. You know, it just happened overnight. Well, that's the best. Yeah, you know, yeah, really. You know, works out the best and stuff. So you're happy with the way it turned out? Yeah, the yeah. way it's all gone. Yeah, and... like I said, you know, the, the, they took uh, some liberties on that, but I, like I said, I can live with that because you know, I'm, I'm a screenwriter myself, and I, I know what they're doing. Carlos uh, or Sebastian Osario, the, uh, the lead actor, he plays a really amazing role, and the supporting cast is is really good as well. And I met the screenwriters. In fact, I was um, uh, part of my contract. I was uh, supposed to write an. Uh, uh, an episode uh, as part of my thing on that, but uh, I decided not not to do it um, uh, because well maybe because you'd have to write in uh, Spanish my and my written Spanish not it's not screenwriter level <laughs> so I decided not to not to get involved with that but uh, uh, I met the two writers that that worked on the series and uh, and uh, they did a pretty good job. When you go through a case like this with this particular case, was there anything that surprised you about about Carlos? Uh, you mean uh, in the series? Well, yeah, they they um they made him much nicer than he really was. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, they made him yeah. sort of sort of a rascally type of character, you know, rather than the uh, you know the the anti semite, the uh, neo Nazi that uh, that that he is. I don't know if he still is, but he was uh, during during the heyday of his uh, criminal career. Yeah, it's crazy how that that is yeah. how he, he he was that and everything like that. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, so now now when does uh, so first season is up and when do they start? When, yeah, and uh, I I get it on um, on my cable network, uh, Vix. I watched the first fifteen episodes, and uh, it was it was well done. Like I said, and I don't know when the second uh, fifteen are going to happen. There's a Wikipedia page, uh, you know, up which is great, and uh, it, it acknowledges that it's based on my book uh, that. And uh, so um, uh, right now, uh, I'm planning to use that to uh, to advance my career. I'm, I've talked with a, a producer friend, and we're going to be uh, trying to sell the script. And I, I've done a, a a pilot too, as well, so a TV series or a script in English. And we still have the rights to do that. He, he says, um, and um, so we're going to see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. So you're 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 in the big leagues now. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's um, I've got uh, like I said, there's so many different things that if they click all at once, I might have to go hide somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You'll you'll be like the latest Lady Gaga. You'll be. Yeah, yeah. I'll be one of those overnight successes that yeah. took ten years. Lady Baba. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah, Lady Gaga. That's you. Um. Well, so what's yeah. next? So what are you going to do? So when you got this going on, are you able to still work? And you got other writing? projects going on oh yeah yeah i never i never stop worrying i never stop working because uh, uh i love i love i love what i do i mean it's i don't consider it work you know it's like it's like play with me it's like uh like it's like a hobby that you get paid a lot of money on and uh, i've got i've got uh i got so many different things i've got uh i'm working with a production company that wants me to do a script for them and uh, on a bank heist and uh, so i'm working that out i'm getting my my uh, Matthew's uh, book uh, made into an audible, and uh, I'm working. I got this um, uh, black gangster from Chicago that uh, contacted me, and he's been in um, witness protection for 30 years, and he was a big Al Rukin uh, uh, back in his day, and then he, then he had to he was had to flee for his life, and so he collaborated with the government, and his story is really interesting, and uh, so I'm, I'm working on a contract with him. I think I'm going to do a, a screenplay and a and a book on him, and then I've got a book right now that uh, Wild Blue Press I'm under contract to do on a Dallas uh, um, oil oil man that was uh, really a con man, and really interesting. We're going to do a book, documentary, podcast, and a script on that. I'm working with a producer in Dallas. Busy man. Well, yeah, you know, I'm yeah. not so lucky. You know, I'm I work the drive through. You're not so lucky. I work what, the what do you drive through at night. You know. Yeah, you you have to moonlight to stay. Yeah, to stay, no, no, to survive. Really, but that's all right. I let people think I am. But so yeah. okay, so here we go. So where do people find you? I mean, besides the local bar. Well, the <laughs> uh, you can check out my uh, my my website. I got www.ronchepsik. C H E P E S I U K. That's C H E P E S I U K. Dot com. That's my website on there. Uh, you can check out uh, me at uh, my, my, my crime show. I got a show for the last 11 years. Uh, I, I invite all kinds of guests relating to crime, and that's at uh, the artist first, artistfirst.com. 
uh, you'd go to uh, the Artist First Network, uh, radio network, and uh, we, we're on every Thursday night. And then you can just Google me. There's about 60,000 entries on me. Yeah, there's some really interesting ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, we're, we're going to have everything up on the on the website as well. We'll have the series. We'll have your website and everything going, going on so great. people can find it real easily in that. So we really appreciate yeah. you being here and talking about your latest project. No, I'm, I appreciate you inviting yeah. me. Yeah, we're a mutual collaboration society. You're our you're our biggest guest on uh, on my radio show. You're on more times than uh, we're going to give you a part ownership in the. <laughs> well, there you go. That that just means I have to pay the bills, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to see you. We're going to see you in November again, right? I think so. Yeah, it's in my phone somewhere. Well, I appreciate you being here. Now the series is per- Periso uh, Blanco. And, of course, the book uh, is Crazy Charlie, and our guest is the author of that book and starter of the series here, Ron Chepsick. So thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me, Al. Thank you, Dan. Thanks, Ron. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is here, the production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.